It's time for pumpkin flavors and new fall favorites at Dunkin'. And also some tough decisions. Like, do I want a signature pumpkin spice ice latte? A brand new oat milk latte? A new chai latte? Or a pumpkin iced coffee? Oh, and the bakery. Do I want a pumpkin donut or... Uh, there are other people behind you in this drive-thru. Oh, uh, I'll just take it all. Okay. It's all the cozy you crave at Dunkin'. Pumpkin favorites and new fall additions. Like new creamy without the dairy oat milk lattes and the signature pumpkin spice ice latte plus more. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. You're listening to Caroline Radio, KCGN Bakersfield, your home for all your variety hits, just like the Aaron's Opinion Podcast. Welcome back, listener. How are you? I'm glad you've had a good week. You know, tonight I'm joined by someone, as I was saying before I pushed the record button, joined by someone who I have been following for a while, at least, I'll tell you, at least five years um, on YouTube, uh, off and on, watching his fascinating, entertaining, and educational content. This person is blind like us in the audience and like me. He produces a lot of content all about accessible gaming. And he do, he's done a lot of work and a lot of videos about the Oculus Rift headset and virtual reality. So if you don't know who I'm talking about already, it's a great honor and pleasure to be joined by Jesse Anderson, or as I like to call him, or maybe he likes to call himself, illegally cited. And it turns out that Jesse has been listening to Aaron's opinion without Aaron even noticing. So Jesse, illegally cited, welcome to Aaron's opinion. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Thank you for joining me at such, at such short notice. Um, so basically, um, one of the things that really caught my attention about you about five years ago on YouTube was your your motivation and your enjoyment of playing and learning about and showing people accessible games. You've got it covered. I remember one of the games that I, I found and you at home probably thought, oh my God, that's boring. But I thought it was just, I thought it was really pleasant to watch was the game where you played and you're some sort of like a sea creature, some sort of like a, a fish. And the game is like, you like sort of like swim around and it just looks cool. So, I mean, you've played a lot of really fascinating games. Um, uh, so why don't you start off by telling us, I mean, I guess my first question is how did you become so attracted and so enamored, I guess, by accessible gaming? Tell us about that. Well, I mean, yeah, a little bit of background. Um, I am legally blind, have been since birth, or as uh, that's kind of where I got the illegally cited thing from, you know, the whole spin on. I always thought, love, I, thought I love that, but love yeah, legally that, blind, way. I was, I thought was just a little bit of a weird term. I know what it means, but it's always weird. And so I kind of got tired of people, you know, like when you, when people ask like, Oh, what is your envision impairment? So instead of giving them a straight answer, I'm like, I'm illegally cited. And I just like to get people's strange <laughs> looks. And I'm, I couldn't think of a name for the channel when I started. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to roll with this and see what happens. And so <clears throat> I've been into gaming pretty much as far as I can remember. Um, you know, I grew up back in the days of the Atari 2600, Commodore mm. 64. Mm -hmm. Ooh, you know, I okay. saw them early on. And cool. cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm 90. I, I was born in 91. Uh, okay. So, yeah. So uh, what are you, are you 10 years old, 10 years older than me, five years older than me? Uh, 79. So yeah. It, so, so oh, yeah, okay, seven, seven. Yeah, yeah so I'm see, old. 
well, not that, not that bad, man, not that bad, man. Just, oh yeah, yeah. You're, you're, but, you're um, basically, you're basically a generation, kind of a generation ahead of, or the generation mm-hmm. before me, I guess. Right. Slightly before. Yeah. So and, you grew up, you grew up in the '80s, and I grew up in the '90s. So th- there was a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, when I started, you know, I, I, I saw, I was originally just fascinated with the fact that oh, I can not only watch TV, but I can actually control something on it. So that was like the Atari stuff. And then I saw the, then I saw the Nintendo Entertainment System, the old NES. And from that point on, I was hooked. Saw my first uh, computer, my talking computer. And I was fascinated with that. And so pretty much uh, from that point on, I knew I was going to do something in technology. And so from my day, like I've had a few jobs over the years, but I'm currently working for the state of Minnesota and I'm currently working as an assistive technology specialist with the state, kind of helping people who are blind or visually impaired, you know, get through school and get a, eventually ultimately become employed because that's a huge Excellent. thing. And that's another passion. And that's, line. and that's one of, and that's something that I greatly appreciate. And that's one of the things that I hope that Aaron's opinion does is that I, I hope that if it helps one person to feel better and to feel more motivated to get out there and be successful, then it was a successful thing. Then it, then it's a successful podcast. So exactly. That whole, that whole, that whole issue of, of employment. And I, I find Jesse, that after talking to so many blind people from all over the world, I find that employment is a huge issue, and also motivation is also an issue that I that is also a recurring issue that I see quite frequently. Oh, absolutely! I could oh, talk about yeah. that for ages myself. I mean, I never, like I said, I mean, I never really wanted to be. I always wanted to be as independent as I could. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be successful, be independent, be on my own, you know, and not have to worry about being, you know, on a monthly check, that kind of a thing. And like, I'm, it, it, was it hard? Absolutely. And it's, it, you know, it's, we, we definitely oftentimes do have to work, you know, twice as hard to get, you know, the same as everybody else, but I'm not going to let that, you know, from stopping right. me doing it anyway. And and that's what I and that's what I've been been telling people is that a lot of times in life, even if you're successful, if you're successful, that just means some of the times it means that you just took, you know, one step forward, two steps back. Oh God, and, yeah. And that's it's a constant, constant thing that I see really. But um, but that's that's interesting. So, okay. Well, I think, I think that's in. So exactly um, if you help, you know, when you help blind people to find meaningful employment, what, uh, you know, how, how exactly do you do that? And what are some, uh, you know, issues that, that you're seeing lately out in Minnesota with that, with that issue? Well, really, um, it, it, I mean, this year with the, you know, with the virus and everything, it's put a really weird spin on everything. But basically what I, you know, my part of it, what I do, I'm an assistive technology specialist during the day. And so, you know, people will come in and, you know, we'll get referrals from counselors and then we will, um, you know, I will meet with the people. Uh, and, and I work primarily these days with uh, transition age students. So typically high school, early college, that kind of a thing. So figuring out, you know, getting their technology, figuring out what technology would best help them. And not only that, but like getting them set up with the proper training so that they can be successful in college and hopefully ultimately go out there and find a, you know, be employable and get a job and, and all that good stuff. So we'll, you know, we'll meet with people and 
work with them to figure out what technology and te te technology training would help them um, and just all kinds of different stuff like that. Hmm. Excellent. Good, good. And uh, yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say oh. the gaming, uh, the gaming stuff. Yeah. So let's, I mean, let's, let's kind of segue, I guess, segue sure. or, 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 or drift around as we go through the hour, I guess. So then how did you um, develop this, this admiration for the YouTubing and really creating a channel for blind people where you show how easy it is for blind people to get into gaming? Because I think that's, that's the fun part of your channel. So talk, well, talk about that. Yeah. The funny thing is it kind of happened by accident. Believe it or not, I've been doing this for like over a little bit over eight years now. Cause I started in 2012 mm. and what's, it started out a friend of mine and I, we had a Minecraft server that we were working on and we were kind of building our own maps together and we wanted to share things back and forth, but it was actually getting too crazy to be sharing back and forth these map files. And so then we ended up getting a server so that we could play on there together and do cooperative projects and things. And then we got the idea of, whoa, okay, well, we could show other people. I mean, I could just try to record something. I found some, you know, free or cheap recording software. And my first couple of videos were kind of giving a tour of the creations that we had done on the Minecraft server. And then I thought, well, that was actually kind of interesting. And so I just kind of put up a couple of other, you know, videos in the beginning. And I thought, well, if I am going to do this, you know, I don't know how long this is going to last or if this is going to really even become a thing. What can set my channel apart from the gazillions of other ones that are out there related to tech and gaming? And I thought, well, at the time, I mean, it's pretty, there's a lot more people now, but in 2012, to my knowledge anyway, <clears throat> there really weren't that many people doing the whole blind and visually impaired Twitch or YouTube or just, you know, videos or streaming in general. There were a couple that I knew of, but not very many. And so I thought, well, let's take a look at mainstream games and how I play them, you know, as a person who is legally blind. I have enough vision to play a lot of mainstream games, um, but I still do have trouble with some types of them. And then I figured out how to capture iOS footage to my computer. So I started covering mobile content. And then in 2015, I attended the uh, CSUN conference, technology conference in uh, San Diego at the time. And I met a person, Ian Hamilton. He had a session there. And I attended his session. We started communicating over uh, email and uh, Twitter and things like that. And so to that point, you know, I'd been making videos and I've been doing these kind of spotlight videos and apps. And, you know, I mean, I was doing my thing, but after we had talked and I had attended his session on game accessibility for 2015 or whatever it was, um, I really kicked things into high gear. Cause he just like, Oh, you know what, this could actually really become a thing. And I just, you know, concentrated even more in my spare time on doing different types of videos and just looking at different areas of accessibility um, and low vision and around the same time VR commercial VR started becoming a thing virtual reality and I had to get myself an oculus rift because I saw a prototype of it uh, earlier and I'm like okay I know there's going to be issues but again here's another uh, ground floor opportunity for me is VR is definitely a more enthusiast hobby still to some degree because if you're a computer-based VR system you still do need a you know a decent computer gaming rig to play things properly that'll support it 
and the headset and everything itself, you know, I can't imagine there will be too many blind and visually impaired uh, people coming into that. And so I started covering VR content. And then I thought to myself, like, well, if I can get this advocacy and consulting piece going both with gaming and VR as well, because VR is this new medium, everybody's still trying to figure it out. Everybody is trying to figure out what standards to have in general for everything. So if I can start, you know, knocking on doors and talking to developers and saying, hey, as you're thinking about all this other stuff, there's some people out here that also maybe want you to consider adding maybe some accessibility standards and frameworks from the ground up. So I've been trying to advocate for that. And I did a presentation on that very topic in 2017 for the IGD or not um, ID24 web conference. And that archive is on my channel as well, or the presentation I did on VR low vision accessibility. Outstanding. And since then, oh, oh yeah, yeah, oh. uh-huh, uh-huh. Go, oh, perfect. Yeah, keep, yeah, keep, keep. Yeah, no, I'm just, um, so yeah. since then, it's kind of just been a thing of really continuing to, the, to do the channel. I did start um, streaming about a year and a half ago on Mixer because I thought, well, Windows has got this game bar built right into Windows. And I don't really have to do much setup for it, I don't think. So let's give this mixer thing a try. And so I've been putzing with that off and on the last year and a half, year, year and a half or so. But then just like I said, trying to work with um, game developers, app developers, doing betas, um, becoming uh, a member of some groups like the Able Gamers player panels, um, doing some stuff with Microsoft on the side, got a couple things through them. Um, And then just recently I've started getting just these, you know, little game accessibility is actually starting to become a thing. And I have some really good news about that later, but um, you know, within the last six months or so, I've really just started getting some actual, you know, one, like little one-off paid, you know, consulting gigs that, you know, paid or unpaid that, but, but developers are just taking notice and are thinking, well, maybe we should talk to some people and try to add accessibility features to our games and stuff. So it's just been a really busy combination of things, but I've been loving it a lot. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. You know, and the thing that really impressed me on your channel, I remember years ago watching those spotlights. You had a lot of fun uh, doing, you know, uh, play gameplays of, um, so many, uh, but, mm-hmm. so ma- but there were, you know, the, the, the thing of it was, is that it, it was very noticeable to me. And now that I'm thinking back to it, it was overly noticeable that a lot of these games, some are just written a lot better than others. And oh, some, yeah. some are just significantly better. Oh, something about now. Okay. I'm, I'm going to get the title wrong. So just tell me what it's called. Once I mess this up, something okay. you played some g- game called like Pop- Papa Sanjay or something like that, where it was oh, yeah. like, is that what it's called? Papa Sangre. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, 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 it's yeah. not available in the app store anymore. That company stopped making accessibility uh, or blind accessible games, which Aww. is a crime because they were doing some fantastic so, work. And, I they mean, were... and, it was, and it was really cool for me just to be able to listen to you interacting in that game and having that interaction with the software that, I mean, I never downloaded, <laughs> I should have downloaded it to try it because it's not there anymore. But... No, unfortunately not. And every game that they That's did, weird. the sad thing is every yeah. game that they did, like they just got better and better. I mean, by the hmm. time they got to their last game, Audio Defense, I mean, that was 
that was an amazing game. I see. Well, so, and how do you suppose that worked? Did the company simply go under? Uh, were there other things going on? What, what do you think? Um, I, I don't want to really, I don't really want to say too much because I'm not entirely sure. I know it was like the, it was something else games and it was a, I forget what it, it was like a, sub company under another company and they just decided to close that branch of it, I think, because it just wasn't really making that much of a uh, profit for them or they were just was, really wasn't doing well compared to what they wanted, I think is what, it, what ultimately happened. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was, that was a fascinating one. There was another one um, where there was a game and I, I, I forget what it was called. The game where it was like a medieval story and you had like three different uh, paths to go on in the story. Um, something about that with a lot of, um, you recorded it years ago. It was a lot of very dramatic voice acting, a lot of overly dramatic voice acting. Um, and it was I'm like, it was, was like an, a medieval. It was like a medieval setting, and yeah, was it a was it an audio game or was it actually yeah. a mainstream game? No, it was an audio. Could have been a blind legend. Yeah, could have been. Could have been. There was a lot of um, interesting. Okay, so now I mean, the other thing that really is impressive is the Oculus Rift and this whole concept of virtual reality. Uh, you played one game where you've played, you've done playthroughs of a lot of the Oculus Rift content, but two that really stood out to me were the one where it's like um, an Arctic scene where you're kind of like in like, a, you're like surviving in like the wilderness, that one. And then there was another one where you were like um, in an ocean, you were like a diver in the ocean and you had to like uh, swim about in the ocean or something like that. Do you, do you remember which ones I'm talking about? Um, there's been a couple that have had some, there's been a couple that have had uh, some snowy areas and that have had uh, some underwater things. Mm -hmm. like there's, I've just done so many. It's kind of funny, but uh, yeah, VR is a really interesting thing. And the way that I do a lot of these spotlight videos, be it low vision or accessible or VR spotlights, I've kind of drawn a lot of inspiration. I was trying to figure out also how I wanted to do my video content Right, I didn't so, really want to do a lot of like really scripted things because yeah. I don't, you know, I don't want to be like a scripted review going, I like this game. Their graphics are really good. Da, da, da. You know, it's just, they're boring. That's boring. And so, so yeah, I, I mean, people, I, and people have been funny about that with me, even, even on the podcasting side, people have been funny about that. So someone I was looking at one point, I was looking for topics for a podcast and someone, someone had to be funny and they had to say, well, why don't you talk about a pod? Why don't you do a podcast where you talk about the process that you go through to decide, to talk about in a podcast? So it mm -hmm. can be really hard to talk. It can be hard to decide how how do you decide what gets covered? Yeah. Oh, exactly. And so what I did is I actually drew a lot of inspiration. There's a gaming site that kind of splintered away from GameSpot back in the day, but there's a site called Giant Bomb, and they do. A lot of, they have these videos called quick looks where they just basically turn on the camera, start a game, they talk over it, they play it a little bit, and they just kind of let you decide. You know, they give their own opinions, but they let the viewer decide is like, well, if things go really well, great. If things go really badly or in between, 
you kind of get an idea of, you know, and they cover games where like not all, they don't like all of them, you know, it's like, sometimes you really want to like a game and it doesn't turn out very well, or sometimes you discover a hidden gem or whatever, but that's kind of the inspiration that I took when I do my video, uh, the way that I do a lot of my videos. And also I don't really know a heck of a lot about video editing. So laziness prevails. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think for me with the, with the podcasting, what got me into it was that I felt in a sort of a similar way that you do, that I felt that there was sort of a void, sort of a big space in the podcast world where other blind people needed a podcast that was approachable. And then ironically, I saw opportunities and then, you know, from there the podcast took off. But I had to do, I've had to do a lot of monologues before I've gotten the opportunity to talk to a lot of guests. So, I mean, that's, that's one thing. Have you considered um, podcasting to do an except like a spotlight podcast where you just talk about the game in a podcast sense? Well, um, I have been doing a podcast um, a little bit off and on. We've had some technical difficulties and then just some other stuff kind of went down, but like we, um, I have been doing a podcast for a little bit, about a year ish now. Um, a, the A4G podcast. Um, oh, so great. yeah, I've done a little bit of that. And I'm not quite sure. It's sort of in kind of in hiatus at the moment, but, um, but yeah, so I have been doing that and I do find that I do enjoy um, just chatting with other people be it on their podcast or um, something of my own. So yeah, I mean, I do genuinely like talking with others because I do a lot of monologuing myself as well. Hmm. Well, good. So what was uh, the, so what did you cover on your podcast? Is it just accessibility or, or did you do monologues about blindness issues? What, what did you cover? Well, it was a couple of us um, and we basically would talk about, it was mainly, a game accessibility podcast, we would try to cover either different, you know, a little bit of different topics that were coming out, either accessible games or uh, topics in that area, or, um, you know, a little bit of tech in general, a little bit of what we were playing. Um, you know, we're just kind of trying a few different things and stuff like that. So, yeah. Excellent. Great. Great. And, um, what are, I mean, it's, it's a little hard with the current, current circumstances and current situation, but I guess the other interesting topic is to think about when things get all the way back to normal, where, where would you like to go? What are some goals that you have? What are some, and really what are some future predictions that you have for future games that we will see? Well, interesting that you mentioned that because again, in the last, couple of years but especially in the last several months there's been a lot of stuff going on like honestly some of this tech and game accessibility stuff this year that's been happening so far is kind of been really nice because you know for a lot of people 2020 has kind of been uh not the most pleasant year uh ever and so having just some of these bright spots of like seeing what's happening in game accessibility has kind of kept me sane um, and yeah, there's a lot of things happening right now. Um, there are several games that I've been looking at recently and 
the, the trend that I'm liking is a lot more, you know, we have games that are developed specifically for blind players, but a lot of these, you know, these are really small companies or developers and it's hard to kind of find a big audience because a lot of main, you know, a lot of mainstream audience maybe would just kind of treat that as like a novelty and wouldn't necessarily buy into it. You know, so you, you end up seeing a lot of these companies either going under or just kind of stopping development after a while, which is sad. But what we're starting to see more is more mainstream companies, you know, your big ones, Microsoft, EA, Ubisoft, um, just to name a few, Naughty Dog. I have to mention that one because these mainstream games are like, you know, indie, indie developers, AAA developers, they're actually starting to add more accessibility to their games. And, you know, some of it, you know, not just for blind low vision, but, you know, mobility impairment, hearing impairment, vision impairment. And we're starting to see for blind and visually impaired specifically, we're starting to see a little bit more like text to speech support for menus and user interfaces. And even during gameplay, we're starting to see a couple of titles do that. There is a game coming out in about two weeks for the PlayStation four called the last of us Two: the last of us part two. I played the first one. It was amazing. It was awesome, but it really didn't have many accessibility features in it at all. Really any at all that I remember of, but there was an announcement early last week. Like I was looking forward to the game in general, just because I could play it and I want to see where the story goes. But then last week there was this announcement that they did this article on the verge.com where they said, yeah, by the way, we're, we're serious about accessibility. They did Uncharted 4 a couple of years ago, and they're moving on from that. So The Last of Us Part 2 is actually having 60-plus accessibility features built in. And they also said that a totally blind player should be able to play this game start to finish. And what is the uh, premise of this game? So the premise is, um, I don't really know what's going to happen in the second one, but the first one, there's this sort of weird, it's kind of a weird thing that is coming out right now because the premise of the first one is that like, there's this weird, I forget what it is. It's like this kind of virus thing that kind of mutates people and it gets spread in the, through these spores in the air. And so there's like these infected individuals, but you know, you get these, it's kind of like this, almost like apocalyptic sort of a thing that happens. And so you get these band of bands of people that are around and you find out like you play this Joel character and you're escorting this uh, Ellie uh, person to this group of people because theoretically she's immune to the virus and maybe she can be used as a cure. Well, a bunch of bad things happen along the way. And the ending of that game is really interesting and it kind of picks up this. So part two picks up about five years later and Oh yeah, it's just, uh, um, so it picks up and this time you get to play as Ellie throughout the story. You're not playing as Joel. So it is a, like a third person action kind of a game. You know, you have stealth and shooting and bunch of story. I mean, it, it is really grim in a way. Um, but it, it's still really well done. 
Well, that sounds that sounds extremely interesting. Yeah, it sounds like it's one of these. Um, just it's a game that just features a single single player campaign. Correct. Uh, it's it's not it's not really multiplayer. Yeah. Well, that is that is interesting. We're coming up. We are sneaking up on a break. About two and a half minutes. By mm-hmm. the way, by the way, listener, my name's Aaron Richmond, and this is the Aaron's Opinion podcast on eighty-seven point one Caroline Radio and Blind Advocate radio or wherever you get your podcasts or youtube or anywhere else these days and we're joined by jesse anderson although if you have been following him on youtube you probably thought his name was illegally cited because more commonly you're known as legally cited in the you in the youtube in the youtube community yeah that's about as good of a username as as you could come up with I, I got to admit, it, it grew on me once I decided to go with it. it it's definitely grown on me over the years. I've really become fond of it, to be honest. Well, that's, that's interesting. Extremely. And um, so I, I recall that you are, you are from uh, Minnesota. Um, I've never been to your state. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners, maybe give our listeners a little bit of information about, you know, what it's like. Um, having nothing to do with the game accessibility, but maybe sure. if you think Minnesota is just a good state for blind people, what, what, what have you found about that? Well, um, I actually grew up in North Dakota, but then I've moved around a few different places. So I've lived in North Dakota. Uh, I've been in Minnesota for the past little over 10 years. I lived here for a few years before that when I was in college. I lived in Florida for three, about three and a half years because I was going for a specific job. You know, it's like, hey, you got to go where the jobs are. Uh, so I moved uh, to Florida for three and a half years, but um, yeah, Minnesota, it is a nice place to live. Um, you know, I live in St. Paul, so it is a, you know, it's a big metro area. So there's a lot of different things as far as public transportation goes. You got the bus system, you have the light rail. Um, there is a separate state agency, like I said, state services for the blind because I work there. Um, but you know, and then a few years ago when things like Uber and Lyft started becoming a thing, I can't tell you how really useful those types of things have been just because like, you know, at any time, if I, if I want to go somewhere, I can just boom, you know, pay, schedule it with my phone. That's really hop in a, hop in a car and just oh, go. That's, and that's, that's so good. That's so good. All right yeah. then ladies. All right then ladies and gentlemen, this is Aaron's, the Aaron's opinion podcast on KCGN, as we say, we'll be right back. Welcome back, listener. How are you? All right. This is the Aaron's Opinion Podcast. 
we're speaking with Jesse Anderson, illegally cited. Before the break, you were talking about how uh, Uber and Lyft have made things a lot easier for you in St. Paul. Uh, why don't you keep talking a little bit more about those those apps and, 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 and what you think about all of that? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, like I said, I, I do like, I grew up on, originally, I grew up on a farm. And so I do like living in kind of a rural area. But as somebody who is legally blind, you know, I came to the early realization that, well, hmm, as much as I like the nice, you know, open areas and peace and quiet and everything, um, just to be independent, because I, you know, I really highly value being able to just be on my own, support myself, that kind of a thing. And I kind of quickly realized that, yeah, I'm probably going to have to live in a larger metro area so that, you know, at the time I could use the bus system or public transportation. But now that we have, like I said, um, not just things like Uber and Lyft, but even, uh, you know, Amazon and Amazon Prime. I mean, it's it's such a so useful, so useful and things like uh, local, even grocery delivery services, because, you know, I can go to the grocery store and I do go to the grocery store, but you know, it's, it's difficult often, even with low vision, because what do they do in retail? They love to rearrange what's on the shelves constantly. So just when you that's kind right. of start to figure out that's where right. things I, are. I will, I will tell you, I will tell you the truth about that. That drives my sighted parents crazy. So that drives my, everybody crazy. My sighted parents can't keep up with that either. So right. And so I came to the realization. Just, it's not just for, it's not just for blind people. And it's not just for people who are illegally sighted. It's people right. for every, everyone. Everyone is equally annoyed by the rearranging. The the I, I have a of course, I always have a theory behind behind everything. My theory about that is that they think, well, if we can get Mr. Anderson to walk around the store trying to find the stuff he needs, exactly. Maybe maybe we'll get lucky, and maybe Mr. Anderson will buy something he doesn't need. That's exactly why they do it. I know exactly why they do it, and they you're absolutely yeah. right on that. And so. What happened was, is I, I found out that there was a couple uh, stores in the area that did delivery services. And during the winter time, you know, it can be so difficult to trudge through the snowbank or not falling your face on the ice, that kind of a thing. So I thought, you know, I'm going to start, you know, getting delivery for the winter time. And then I'm like, you know, this works really well. I can go to my, I can use my app or I can use a website. I can, you know, build up my shopping list, boom, have it ordered and delivered. I mean, time is money sometimes too. And like, you know, if it's a $5 delivery fee or I pay a, you know, what is it like, you know, 90 bucks a year for a free delivery, you know what, that's totally worth it because you save that over time and it's just so much more convenient. So I've kind of been a big fan of that the last couple of years. Yeah, it's really, that's really valuable. I think, I think that, my generation has completely embraced this idea of, you know, getting food delivered, this whole sort of yeah, delivery culture, I guess. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, again, I think it helps level the playing field because, again, like if I was going to the store and I was taking the bus, okay, I got to get there. Then I got to find someone to help me find things on the shelves unless I wander around forever looking for it myself. And then I got to figure out how to get it all home. You know, I can only carry so much. And so you know, being able to just say, I don't want to shop for groceries, you know, every other day, I want to shop every couple of weeks. If I get it delivered, I can do that. And so I think, you know, especially when the, you know, when the iPhone and smartphones really began to be a thing, 
you know, the things that, you know, to me, there's really no excuse. Like people can, there's, there's so much out there that can make people, um, you know, that can help people be independent. I'm not saying technology solves everything because it doesn't, but like, you know, the computer, the internet, the iPhone, that kind of a thing, all those things are so helpful. You know, I can have access to any book or reading material I want to. I can take a picture of objects and identify them, or I can take a picture of text and have them read aloud. You know, I can pay my bills, um, do my banking, shop, just all of these things that, you know, you would often back in the day would have to have some sort of assistance for. Um, yeah. And then just being able to use all of, you know, again, being able to use all of those types of things in the workplace so that, you know, yeah, you can tell an employer that, yeah, if I have a few of these tools with me, um, I can largely still be a valued, you know, asset to your team. And that's really what I have found, you know, over the years. I mean, basically my story, I'll summarize it for you. If you, I sure. don't know, I've, I've told bits and pieces of it in my podcast over the months, but I don't know which bits and pieces you've put together. So I'll put together all the bits and sure. pieces and say that basically my story is that I, I'm blind like you. I live uh, somewhere in North America. I have a degree in international relations and um, I, I have found that over the years in dealing with many, 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 many different employers, and many different possibilities in life, the issue of blindness always has to come up in some way, you know, some way or another, the issue of someone's blindness is, is part of the decision. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you what I really think about this. And you may, you're, by the way, you're welcome to disagree because everything I said, this is an opinion podcast, not a fake podcast. I say not a, not a, this is an opinion. Yeah. It's an opinion podcast, not a fact podcast. I've, I kind of think that <clears throat> really what our country as a whole needs to try to do as far as legislation goes is we need to try to pass some sort of a federal law that states something like, when someone who's blind or has any, any sort of disability, when they go in for a job, the law should say that you are required by federal law to tell the employer all of that information up front. Because I think that the employers who understand that blindness is an asset will always be there. And the employers who would say, well, no, I just won't hire you because you're blind, they'll always be there. I think the result would be the same or close to it. But I mean, you work in that field. What do you think about that idea? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I definitely have mixed feelings sure, on that. Sure, sure, that's fine. Um, and you know, it's there's just the whole thing. You know, a lot of different groups, um, but like you know, people with disabilities, especially, um, there's a lot of kind of myths and misconceptions as to what we're capable of, and I think there's a lot of not only assumptions, but I think there's also a lot of low expectations. It's like, oh, well, this person's disabled. I mean, I, I've had people, you know, was surprised that, you know, I had people ask me if a couple of years ago, um, you know, like, oh, well, you, well, you can actually work. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you're a miracle just because you can dress yeah. yourself and, you know, get out of bed every day. I'm like, yeah, exactly. I'm blind. Yeah, I'm not an idiot. I, 
and my last guest, um, and I and listener, I haven't. Well, I, I don't know when when you would be listening to this on the radio. You might have already heard it, so I don't know when this will be aired out. Yeah, la my last guest also had some of the same frustrations. She's a digital a digital artist. Um, that was an interest. That was that was an interesting recording for sure for yeah. many reasons. But we were talking about those. Yeah, people still believe. Uh, these myths, and I, I asked her, and I'll ask you, I think you know, um, do you know what the most, and, and this shows how ignorant society is, do you know what the most commonly Googled question about blind people is? And you can uh, say it, because this is, a, this podcast is, is marked as, as explicit, so you can say it. Yeah, no, I, I truthfully don't know, but I'm genuinely curious. Well, what, what would you think it is? Well, when you, I don't, um... I'm not sure. Go ahead. How do blind people wipe? And to me, that's such a dingbat question. And to begin with, because really, I don't well, know, I'm, but like, yeah, yeah, uh, I'm not, no, I'm not understanding. I'm, I'm, not, person, I'm, not Google, I'm not Googling it. I'm just telling right, I'm, right. I'm not Googling I'm, I'm just I mean, telling like, you that's the most Googled thing, apparently. Yeah. And it's, but it's weird to me. It's like, uh, if you're sighted, like you can't see down there. I mean, you, what do you put like a mirror down there when you, I mean, it just doesn't, there's the logic just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, the social point that I make on my podcast about sure. that is that, so the point behind it is if we still have a society in, a, in our great country like the united states if right. we have people in our country who are googling that then no wonder we have so many other problems with employment for people with disabilities oh absolutely so and it, I it shows really... it shows the gross ignorance and and oftentimes ineptitude of people I and i think yeah there's a there's a good combination i mean there's so many complex issues with that whole area because it's you know some of it is yeah mo lack of motivation um for the people themselves, you know, being blind or visually impaired. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it is, you know, the systems that are in place, not really encouraging you to get off of some of these uh, government benefit systems. And, but a lot of it also is the fact that, you know, you have um, just a lot of these, you know, if people think that we can't wipe ourselves, I mean, they're not going to think we can do much else. And right. So again, and it's, it's, exactly, it's exactly the point. That's, that's precisely, precisely what, I, what my point is about it. It's, mm -hmm. it's very, I, I think it's very, I think it's very shameful. And I think it's very concerning that in a country as successful as the United States, you think we would have moved past, moved past that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you would. <clears throat> Um, and I also, I also find though that on top of society, I find that there are, there is a, this kind of, one of my other guests was really frustrated by it. And it's someone who's recently become blind as an older adult, which must be, I can't even fathom that because I was born blind too. But he was saying how there's basically these two groups, you know, two groups of blind people. And mm -hmm. the group that was, the, the, the other fact that is oftentimes I mean, I, I know that you're aware of it, but just in general, it's often sure. overlooked that people who become blind as older adults have a significantly harder time adjusting and and truly finding value in, in themselves. Oh, yeah. I, a I lot mean, harder. you know, I, I can only, you know, I can't pretend to understand that because I've had the vision that I've had all my life. But I mean, even with the remaining vision that I did, that I do have, if I were to go completely blind, yes, I would have a leg up because I have gone through different types of blindness training over the years. You know, I know technology. I do know Braille. 
I do know some O&M techniques, you know, those types of things, but I'm not going to lie and say, oh, if I lost my vision, it would just be, oh, not much of a difference because I do use my vision for a lot of things. Yes, I do a lot of things audibly and tactily, but there's a lot of things that I still do that I would really, really miss. And it would be kind of devastating if I lost all of my vision. I mean, I could deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it would bum me out. It's, it's, it's interesting. I'm not, I, I, tonight I do not, I I do not want to name drop. I've already done that before and it was, it was not a problem, but I'm not going to do it tonight. I was listening to another, to another podcaster who does podcasts for blind people. And the topic was, you'll, you'll know it, but, you'll know it right away. He was talking recently about this whole new bionic or not bionic, this whole like computer eye thing where supposedly people within the next five years, if they're blind would be able to like install an eye or have some surgery with like a bionic or some sort of a eye something or other, some sort of Mm -hmm. a computer eye. And he asked his audience this question. He asked the audience, he says, so if you are blind, would you have that surgery and have that done to your eye and have this bionic eye? I'm happy to tell you what I think. What do you think about it? If you had the chance to have your vision restored with this bionic eye. Yeah. And I've been asked that before too. Um, And I think, you know, ultimately until I knew for sure that the, the success rate was really high and that I don't know honestly what I would do, but if I had to honestly say I'm, you know, I'm genuinely, I'm genuinely, generally happy with the vision that I do have. And I probably wouldn't because a, I have some vision. I would hate to have anything go wrong and then I, and it would get botched or something and it would be even worse. And we don't know to what extent this bionic eye gives you vision, you know, maybe yes, it would give you vision, but is it going to give you like, you know, is it going to look like somebody has 20-20 vision or is it just going to be, oh, you'll be able to see shapes and yeah. outlines or maybe some vague colors? And of course, vision is so psychological, what we perceive to see as our own perception. Yeah. So, and so I really don't think that I would. And I, I would agree with you more on a, and I, more on a spiritual level. Um, I, I am not religious, but I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not religious, but I, I do believe in God. And I, I have a I have a suspicion about something, which is that in life the the part of life that makes the part of life that is really interesting, and the part of life that is most rewarding, and the part of life that is most challenging, is one thing: that life is not fair, and we have to accept it. So oh, sure. I think so. I think for me, I would say no. I was born blind for a reason. It's my job to figure it out. As as Samuel Clemens yeah. as Samuel Clemens once said, oh okay, whoops, oh I'm re- Jesse, I'm getting the hate mail. Here's the hate mail. Okay, th- there's some na- nasty tweets in the feed now. All right, there they are. <laughs> but um, but as but as Samuel Clemens once said, there's only two important days of, the, of your life: the day you're born and the day you find out why you were born. And there's only there's only two other things there's only two other things that I'm sure of apart from the day that I was born and for me to find out why that in my life I'll pay taxes and eventually I'll die and then, I'll, and then who knows? Right. Yep. So I'm not, I, and well, also with my, with my eyes. So what happened was I was born with glaucoma and cataracts and I was born in the nineties and I I've gone through seven uh, cornea transplants. Yes. Go, go ahead. Mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, I definitely get where you're going with that. And the thing is, is, you know, it seemed, you know, it is, yeah, it is scary in, in the beginning and it can be really, there are times, yeah, I mean, I've dealt it with it all my life as well and it can be frustrating at times, but honestly, you know, I've just learned to deal with it. And like I said, I mean, other people, I think a lot of times other people actually think that my low vision is much more of a big deal than I do. I just like, whatever, of course, it's just yeah. another thing, you know, it's, I mean, just, I just it's how we live. Of course. And, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have usable vision too enough to play the, the the video games, but with my work as a teacher, and then my podcasting, and then taking care of my retired guide dog, I find that I I just have no interest in it. It's just so the playing the video games is painfully painfully boring and not 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 for me. My brother's into it. My brother has all those games. Yes, he mm-hmm. he's got he's got a lot of them. I don't know if he's played any of those more advanced single player campaigns. But I do remember when I played video games, my favorite was always Assassin's Creed, the multiplayer. So much fun. So mm. much fun. Just a blast. Yeah. Yeah. See, multiplayer is where I often have trouble because mm-hmm. a lot of it is team based. And usually what happens to me is by the time I figure out if somebody is friend or foe, I'm dead. So either either that or if I if I jump and then I, you know, I start attacking somebody. Mm-hmm. oops i didn't i didn't mean to attack my own teammates so right I, if i do multiplayer i generally gravitate to the more free-for-all like if it moves shoot it <laughs> kind of old school design of right multiplayer or, mm. or, or else cooperative stuff yeah you know what's your um now i have played it in the past i don't have much i i don't play it recently or, or often but i have had some experience with rs games um they what is your opinion of that i've looked at it a little bit but i haven't really played it all that much um because a lot of that is more like card and board game type stuff correct Uh, they've got a lot now um they're expanding supposedly um they do card games board games casino games yeah um and it is, if you get the right people in the room at the same time to play it, I mean, it is really competitive. It is really cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I do like in the, in the right situation, in the right environment, like especially with friends, I do love playing. Like my friend and I, back when I lived in a different place, we we would play cards every weekend and it got really heated. <laughs> it was fun. Oh, yeah. But like as far as like video games and stuff go, I do play those types of games occasionally, but they just don't really hold my interest over time. So I, you know, mm. I mean, I like more, I like games with a little bit more, like, I don't know. I mean, just, you know, more of the kind of traditional, like mainstream games, whatever you want to call them, you know, your, your racing or action adventure, your shooters, those types of things. I just kind of gravitate more toward that type, you know, or some puzzle games every now and again, like I said, on the channel, I do so much of a variety of all kinds of different things. Yeah. You've covered so much of a, of a variety. It's hard for yeah. me to pinpoint exactly what some of those things were called. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But there were a lot of interesting story games though, with really, really inspirational voice acting and really that were really well written it seems like some of these games as i've said i'm repeating myself are much better written than than others some are just i just feel like with some of the games you've covered over the years man some of them were just better planned out a lot better of an idea to start with so jesse if you could start a game tomorrow if you could write your own game what 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 would the story be 
Uh, well, actually, I'm kind of struggling with that at the moment because there's actually a accessible game that is not fully out yet. But if you have seen the channel recently, there is a game in 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 development right now called Sable, hmm. and it is a um there oh god I forget the name of the developer I'm sorry guys, but um it's it's called Sable. And it is an audio RPG maker creation tool. So they're basically building this audio game engine to where a person like you or I could, without knowing any programming, without knowing any coding or anything like that, we can go ahead and make our own turn-based audio RPG. Wait, really? Really? Yeah, you can walk. Yeah, you can walk around. You know, like an overhead type of, you know, like overhead Final Fantasy type of thing where you hmm. go through. You know, you fight creatures and go to towns and do quests and things. They in May they had a closed or they had a beta. It was a timed beta until the end of May, and um, I tried it. I streamed it, and the archive is up on my channel, so I do have a video about it. But it's, I mean, it's amazing. It's cool because you can. You know, like I said, you can create your world, you can add buildings, you can add, uh, you know, characters to it, you can add quests and items and monsters and equipment and like oh. you can your whole world. Whoa. Whoa, okay, see a game where so, a game where I could do some creation and yeah. kind of be artistic. Well, that's, so I want to learn more about that. And then you can go back and that. play it. And then you can go back and play it and have <laughs> other, other people play it. So that's I really actually- cool. I am kind of in the progress because I have been talking to the developer a little bit and asking, mm. him, asking him some questions and he's been really great to work with um, because. Well, I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm so intrigued that I actually want um, as an, I, this is just an idea just for fun. I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of want to help you with that. I mean, is there anything maybe um, in, at a future date, maybe, maybe we could not necessarily make a podcast about it, but maybe sit down over zoom where maybe, you know, I could see you doing some of this. Maybe you could show me how to do it. So maybe I could have a kind of a experience of um, like creating or so, or something like that. that. That would be fascinating. Yeah. Um, well, right now, uh, no one can play it right now. I can't even play it anymore because the demo, the beta has expired. But as it's hopefully supposed to be coming out, hopefully later this year, mm. um, you know that it i'm sure like i said i do stream on mixer sometimes and so that would be a thing where people can you know they can come in and join the stream and be able to watch live you know like cuz when i did it last time i had another uh blind uh person that i know who had joined the channel and he was actually giving me a few tips cuz he had played it before i did and so we you know we were just in the chat talking while i was building and he was giving me a few tips of like oh, wait how do i make this thing work or how do i make it happen so I'm kind of in the process right now of kind of trying to think of some kind of a basic story or basic world so that, you know, the game isn't out yet, but if I can write a few documents down of like, okay, these are the characters, this is the world. These are the things that I'm going to have to build and eventually put in the game so that when the game comes out, I can actually build the thing. So mm-hmm. I'm. And can we, can we manipulate the environment in the game? Um, I mean, to some degree, you have different, you know, you have different location types, you know, you have like a grassland or a um, indoor outdoor, you have grassland, you can make things into like caves or, you know, whatever you want to do, you can make, you know, different flooring, um, 
So if you want to build like a, you know, a castle with a, you know, with different stone floors and walls, or you want to build some wooden huts, you can do that or whatever. Mm, And it's all, you know, depending on what sound, like you can get, you can um, import your own sound effects or music into it. So you can, you know, you don't have to do the medieval thing. It'll come with some sound and tools in it. But like, if you, I know some people were playing with the idea of, well, maybe instead of making a traditional fantasy role-playing game maybe they want to make a science fiction role-playing game and have modern things so you have you know sound effects for modern walking on um you know metal floors or in a space station or you have car sounds because you're walking around a town or you know so there's really it just depends on the imagination of what types of things you want to create and how you want to build it so i mean it's hard to explain I I know I get it, man. I, I tell you what, I have some ideas, but of course I don't want to give them all away on a podcast. Right. I, I would want you to, no, I do have a real idea, but what mm-hmm. I would, what I would like if, if you can, the next time, the next time you get into it, maybe if you can give me a week's notice, I know that's hard, but with the gaming world, these things pop up all of a sudden, but if you can give me some notice, um, oh, yeah. I would, I would be really interested in joining your stream and I would be, I absolutely. Really yeah, absolutely. In, I don't in, know when they're going to have another beta yeah. available, or I don't mm. know when the full game is coming out. But because you see, I rest would be assured, really, I will be revisiting be, it again. I would be well. Well, rest assured, I would be actually really inspired if I could give you a storyline that then you could create a game over. Because I have one in my mind, and mm-hmm. then you get other people to play it, and then I can think about it. That would be really cool for me. Yeah, and, and what nobody, you quickly... would, nobody would know. Nobody would know it's me who is coming up. Mm-hmm. With that. And what you quickly realize, though, even if you, even though you're not coding or programming anything, you just start looking around the, you know, you look around the world and you're thinking about building things. I mean, even just building a single, uh, you know, a single screen of, you know, buildings and characters, like let's say you want to build a single village. There's a lot of work and time that goes into that. So it's not something you could even really do in a stream or two. You know, this is something that is going to, if I were actually to build a game, this is going to probably take some, once the, once the editor and everything comes out, this is, you know, if I decide to do this, it's going to take me probably months to do. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, how do you, and, and how do you basically organize that when you're deciding what to show? I mean, um, do you tend to record in the evenings, morning, anytime? Is there any particular time of day that you like to record? Well, when I record videos for the YouTube channel, yeah. those are just recording and then I upload and unlock them kind of whenever, you know, I, I have a schedule. I, I unlock videos regularly on Wednesdays and Saturdays, and then I do Mixer archives on Mondays. So if mm. I do a live stream through Mixer, most of the time I do those uh, on the weekend. It could be a Friday, but more likely a Saturday evening. Um, sometimes I do it in the afternoon because I have had a few people join me in the past who have been over in uh, the UK or whatever. And they, you know, their time zone is, uh, is ahead of theirs and ahead of ours so far that if I stream in the evening, they just can't join. So I, you know, I try to mix things up a little bit and do a few day streams uh, sometimes as well, just to be more inclusive to, you know, having more people be able to watch. Um, but most of my, like I do mostly the YouTube stuff, but like I said, I, I do, some of this streaming on Mixer as well. Awesome, Jesse. Awesome. I I absolutely am looking forward to that. Looking forward to 
to giving some some ideas. I think I would be more entertained actually. I would I would take more satisfaction in giving you my ideas, having you create something amazing and then and then everybody else plays it and then blames you for it than yeah. than than me creating something and then having people blame me. I just want to take the credit for coming helping you maybe to come up with some pretty cool stuff in the future. Yeah, and after so, we're so we're coming we're coming we're coming up by the way last 45 seconds of the show. Uh we've been talking with Jesse Anderson who has a lot to say. By the way, um you really enjoyed this. I think we're going to have to have a part 2 because I think there's a lot more that you that you should say and tell people. So do you have basically a final message? You have about 10 seconds. Uh, not really, not at the, not off the top of my head, but it's just, yeah, it's been a fun conversation. And uh, yeah, I would be willing to hang out again. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that's so good, Jesse. I was kind of, uh, I'm really glad you came in and I'm really appreciative that you came in at such such a short notice. Everybody, that was another exciting edition of Aaron's Opinion. Uh, as I like to say, uh, have a good day today and a great day tomorrow. Get a credit card that gives you what you need now. A low interest rate on everyday purchases and a place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed. And together, we can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit penfed.org slash gold card. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. It's time for pumpkin flavors and new fall favorites at Dunkin'. And also some tough decisions. Like, do I want a signature pumpkin spice ice latte? A brand new oat milk latte? A new chai latte? Or a pumpkin iced coffee? Oh, and the bakery. Do I want a pumpkin donut or... Uh, there are other people behind you in this drive-thru. Oh, uh, I'll just take it all. Okay. It's all the cozy you crave at Dunkin'. Pumpkin favorites and new fall additions, like new creamy without the dairy oat milk lattes and the signature pumpkin spice ice latte, plus more. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.